Oscar Wilde said this, the only thing worse than not getting what you've always wanted is getting it. Uh, this is the third, and I believe the greatest theme in The Greatest Showman. Uh, P.T. Barnum longed for success above and beyond that of the circus. He longed to be a success in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the critics, and in the eyes of the rich and powerful. And he gets it. He becomes rich. He becomes famous. There is this, this undertone of theme of applause. That every time in the movie there is an, a, an uproar of applause from the crowd, every time it focuses in on the one who is receiving the applause. And it almost pans away. It puts it in slow-mo. Sometimes it reduces the, the sound and it builds anticipation. You're wondering, what is happening? Like with the lights right now. <laughs> you might be wondering, what is happening? The joys of being a mobile church. Uh, we can clap, sure. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And the Lord said, let there be light. We all have this longing for success and notoriety, fortune. Every one of us, if we're honest, kind of thinks we deserve to win the lottery. <laughs> We've, you're laughing because every single one of us has thought that. We've rationalized why it should be us as opposed to the millions of other people that could win. We think we'd be more happy, more content, more fulfilled if we won the lottery. I know we all think that. These longings are misplaced. And for P.T. Barnum, his longings are not much different than ours. Uh, we both are trying to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, and for Barnum, keeping up with the Joneses meant seeing the houses, the clothes, the activities that the rich people, the, the high and mighties had. And the same is true for us, except for we don't have to go into 1800s New York to see people walk by uh, and admire them and envy them. We just have to open up our phones, right? We can see all of their vacations, all of the fun, all the perfect poses. <laughs> we can see every fun that we're not having, right? All the great stuff that they have that we don't. All the fun vacations and trips that they get to do. All from our handheld device. And we feel bad about ourselves because I'm looking at other people's highlight reels, right? Uh, and the studies are out. This messes with the psyche. It messes with our minds. It messes with the soul. Listen, here's the first point in your notes. Don't compare your actual inside to someone else's virtual outside. We display perfectly edited photos. It's just not reality. We end up comparing our real lives with their Instagram lives. And it messes with us. We allow that to actually influence and mess with our minds. And it becomes a breeding ground of envy. Look what Proverbs 14.30 says. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We're talking a little bit more about envy in the upcoming weeks as we travel through the seven deadly sins. It says that envy rots the bones. Every morning when we wake up and we open up our phones and we start scrolling bone rotting with envy. Before we go to bed, just get some bone rotting right before. Why wouldn't we see a photo online of like a good looking person at a nice restaurant or on a beautiful vacation? How come we don't say, good for her? <laughs> That's not what we say. 
It's not what we think. Social media tends to breed envy, judgmentalism. I'm scrolling through my feed, envying and judging each person by what I see. And it's not Christ-like. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast and it does not envy. Perfect love, the love that we receive from Christ that we're called to show into the world, doesn't envy. Little Tommy was out on the playground during recess and was picking on other children on the playground. One of his favorite ways of taunting other kids was to make ugly faces at them, right? We all probably had a kid like this or two at our schools. They'd go up, you know, behind the teacher's back or around friends, and it'd just drive you crazy. And Mrs. Zimmer, the teacher in charge of supervising recess, saw Tommy doing this, and she took him aside and said, you know, when I was a little girl, I was told that if I made ugly faces, my face would freeze, and it would always stay that way. And then Tommy looked up at her face and replied, well, Mrs. Zimmer, you can't say you weren't warned. <laughs> we judge. We scroll through. Why would you post that? He's so closed-minded. She fell off the deep end. Why would you wear that? And I don't care that you had pasta for dinner and you had that little oregano splashed around the edges. You're so fancy. We don't realize, but all of our scrolling becomes trolling. What you see, what you focus on, what we think has a tremendous impact on our lives. Uh, this is especially true when, it, when success, fame, or fortune become our ultimate goal. In the minor prophet Haggai, unfamiliar book, but I think this, I, I don't know if there's a more fitting scripture for our culture than this line from the book of Haggai. It says this, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I love the way this verse starts out. Give careful thought to your ways. Most of us don't. We just do what we've always done without ever questioning, is this the best way to live? Uh, just that phrase, give careful thought to your ways. Use your brain in thinking about how you live. It's, a, it's crazy that we don't often do this. And neuroscientists um, have come to a new conclusion. We can now prove uh, scientifically that anything negative, fearful, or hateful attaches to the mind like Velcro. So something bad happens to us, uh, someone makes a negative comment, it, it attaches to our, our brain like Velcro and we remember it and it haunts us and it affects us. And you can feed it for days, weeks, and months. But here's the opposite. Anything positive, happy, joyous, loving, grateful, those memories, those instances are like Teflon. Uh, if you have a great positive thought, a beautiful moment, you can say, ah, oh, isn't that beautiful? Scientists say that you have to savor it for a minimum of 15 seconds or it doesn't imprint on the brain. You lose it. And negativity imprints instantly. That's why you can walk through a carnival and go, isn't that fun? Uh, isn't that great? but you actually leave unchanged because you have to actually sit and savor what it is. Isn't that little child's face delighting on that ride? Isn't that beautiful? And if you don't savor joy, 
It doesn't stay. You have to consciously, deliberately, and intentionally sit there with it, take it in, and it imprints. Why do I hold on to resentment for five years and looking in the eyes of my child with such delight doesn't affect me? I don't let that change me. But I let the people who hurt me change me. I carry those around. You gotta savor joy. You know when you eat like at a great restaurant or like your favorite food? And you put it in your mouth and you start and you chew way slower than normal. And you just, and then you like kind of breathe in your mouth to kind of taste the whole flavor. And you go, mm, that's good. That's what we got to do with joy. You experience joy, beauty, happiness. You pause. You go, let it marinate. That's good. And it'll change your mind. And it'll change your life. Give careful thought to your ways. Do we ever stop to think about how we think? Because it affects us. Do we ever stop to think about how we think? My encouragement for us this morning is for, the, the, for us to do that. To pause. To think about how we think. In The Greatest Showman, when P.T. Barnum fell into the trap of success, he skips his daughter's a ballet recital. His priority was making money rather than loving family. And as a result, his kids suffered, his wife suffered, his friends suffered. It didn't work out. He got what he always wanted only to discover it's not what he always wanted. Jim Carrey, the great philosopher, once said this, I wish that everyone could have everything they've ever wanted so they could see that that's not the answer. That's true. Alrighty then. We've all heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. The problem is that when you get what's on the other side, you're never satisfied. The object of your desire never lives up to its billing, and you're feeling empty and unsatisfied, so you covet all the more. The truth is that the grass isn't any greener on the other side of the fence. In fact, what's on the other side might not be as good as what you have in your own pasture. I didn't necessarily grow up on a farm, but we had cows occasionally, and I was around cows from time to time. I can remember seeing cows in, in our nice green pasture, and we had these fences with barbed wire, and then uh, they would stick their heads through the barbed wire fence and into the neighbor's uh, pasture to try and eat the dead grass on the other side. Too many Christians in our world today are acting just like those cows. We've got the green pastures, and we're longing for the brown dead grass on the other side. Some of you might be thinking, no, really, the grass on the other side really is greener than mine. You compare what I've got to what they've got. You compare how they look and how I look. You compare their kids to my kids. You compare their happiness to my happiness. Theirs is greener, no doubt about it. Some of you are thinking that. Banksy, the great and controversial graffiti artist in the UK said this, you may think that the grass is greener on the other side, but if you take the time to water your own grass, it would be just as green. Some of us need to hear this. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. 
If we were to channel the energies that we use envying and thinking, if only this, if only I get that, if we were to channel those energies to what's right in front of us, to what God has placed in our lives, you'd be living in a forest of green grass. You would be like, honey, I shrunk the kids. There's just luscious grass all around you. There was once a farmer who began to look at his farm through critical eyes. Every place he looked on his farm, he saw something wrong. So he decided, I'm going to sell, I'm going to move somewhere else. So he contacted a realtor, came out, looked things over. The realtor calls the farmer, gets the approval, puts an ad in the paper. And the ad spoke of a good location, a well-maintained house, sturdy barns, lush pasture, a beautiful pond, fertile soil, and a great view. The farmer listened carefully as the... Uh, as, as the realtor told him what he was going to write, finally the farmer says, read it again. And he does. And the farmer responds, don't put the ad in the paper. I've always wanted a place like that. I think I'll stay where I'm at. <laughs> Let's get real practical here. You choose your source. Where am I going to get my values? From the word or from the world? Then you evaluate what's important, make a list of the things that you really believe are the most valuable in this life, and then you live your life towards that reality. This is a giving careful thought to your ways. This is a thinking about how we think. Think about what matters most in life and live, if that, if, live as if that's what's true because it is. Sometimes we lose that. This is the lesson learned in The Greatest Showman. And it's the lesson God teaches me all the time through my kids. Last year, my son Dex, who's five, was really into Star Wars. And uh, he knew all about that world, the Jedi and the Sith. And Sarah and I have this app on our phones, and it converts our phones into lightsabers. So Dex and I would stand, you know, as a face-off. We would turn on our lightsabers. <laughs> It was great. We'd have a great time. Loved playing Star Wars. One particular day, I come home from work. Tough day at work. I'm tired. First thing I do, I sit on the couch. It's, the couch was extra comfy that day, okay? I sit on it. I'm like, oh, wow. And it's nice. And Dex grabs my phone, turns on the lightsaber, and pretends like he's Kylo Ren and goes, I'll show you the dark side. And I was like, oh, calm down. He's equal opportunity with the force. Sometimes he does a good Yoda impression as well. He's like, help you, I will. And, and so I'm sitting there, and he's like, Dad, let's play Star Wars. And I'm like, oh, son, I have an idea. I have a great idea. Let's lay down on the couch and take a nap. <laughs> and he goes, no, Dad, Star Wars. And I go, okay, okay, I'll, I'll play Star Wars. But here's the compromise. I get to stay on the couch. So I'm like this, laying on the couch like this. And he goes, no. And I'm like, it's a fair compromise. You know, he was four at the time. And he doesn't buy it. He says, no, Dad, you have to stand up. And I said, I don't want to stand up right now. Then Dex says this, but Jesus teaches us to stand up and play Star Wars. <laughs> oh, he does, does he? And Dex says, yeah, he does. So he played Star Wars. And he just had an epic battle. Just, just, it was amazing. It was amazing. Before that moment, I was halfway in. 
I got the best of both worlds. I can placate my son without really playing with him. But in that moment, encountering the voice of the Lord through my little Yoda, Dex, <laughs> I was moved to go all in. P.T. Barnum, amidst all of his success, is left with the choice. And the need for redemption always shows up. All great stories have redemption. Some of us need to hear that this morning. All great stories have redemption. All of Barnum's dreaming for a better life turns into an egotistical journey to make everyone love him. He, Barnum loses his wife and children in a bid to make the world love him. He lost the core of his dream to give a beautiful life to the people he loves. He chased fame. He became a user of people who he previously loved. He got lost in the dream rather than being lost in love for those the dream would benefit. So he had to come back home. There's this moment in the film with champagne in hand, Jenny Lynn this Swedish nightingale, looks seductively into P.T. Barnum's eyes. And she utters the words as if the devil were saying, I've given you the world. And at that moment, he realizes that the success he was pursuing was nothing without his family. Left him empty. And like the prodigal son, Phineas T. Barnum comes back home, only to discover that his fleeting success burned to the ground. All that was left was only his family. But he, it was in that moment where he remembered who his dreams were really there for. And he pursues his wife once again, vowing from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love and live for the people right in front of me. It's not about the crowds. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame or the fortune. It's about you. His dreams are right in front of him. They had already come true. And it's where he wants to be. The Greatest Showman, it's a story about overcoming. Even, in the, even the way in which the film was made is about overcoming. It took eight years for the film to make it to production, to sell it to a movie studio. And finally, after eight years, the writers and the cast finally got to do a read-through with 20th Century Fox. After eight years, they finally had their moment. The, the meeting was scheduled uh, in a studio in New York City. All the cast... Uh, all the producers and the executives. In the day before the meeting, Hugh Jackman has a skin cancer removed from his nose and 80 stitches. And the doctor says, absolutely no singing. And so he tells the producer, the, the writer, and the writer's like, well, don't tell anybody because no one's coming to New York City tomorrow after eight years of trying to get us all in the same room and to hear Hugh Jackman not sing. He goes, don't tell anyone. So... Uh, he told no one, he kept his word, and he stood by as a guest singer saying all of his parts. And he, he, he acted a little bit, but he never raised his voice and he never sang any of the songs. But the final song, he couldn't help himself. And it, it is the song that declares, I forgot what was most important in my life. I left home in pursuit of fame and fortune but from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. I'm coming back home. What I've always wanted has been right in front of me all along. So check out this scene from that New York studio before the film was even produced. 
can see authentic joy and real emotion as they all sing, we will come back home, we will come back home. We will bring it back to what it's all about. It is that song that has been speaking the most to me these days. And as a pastor, we are not immune to the longing of success, financial prosperity, in the adoration of people. And our vision for Prodigal Church is big. We believe for a future church building. We believe for hundreds, even thousands more to call Prodigal Church their home, where they're encouraged and inspired to follow Jesus and to love God and love people. We believe in a big and bright future for this church. But God has led me in a new way these past few weeks to declare, if that kind of success comes at the price of me being less of a father to my kids, I don't want it. If that kind of success comes at the price of me being less of a husband to Sarah, I don't want it. If that kind of success comes at the price of the vision of a kind of church that loves God and loves people, I don't want it. If we have to lose this, this is a photo from our launch, our first service. This is, a, this is my wife hugging a friend that we've known for 20 years. This is September of 2017. And then behind her is another friend that I've known since high school. And they call Prodigal Church their home. And their children call Prodigal Church their home. And the look of joy of our friend and Sarah hugging her, this, this photo means a ton to me because those people mean a ton to me. If, if we have to lose this, this this honesty, this passion to love everybody, this passion to help those who are hurting, the passion to give rather than to take. If we have to lose this to become that, then I don't want that. Sarah and I have just seen too many churches lose the vision of why they started. And in place of a vision to love others and bring God's kingdom, in place of that is now a distorted vision of more and more and bigger and better. Don't get me wrong. I want our church to grow. I want us to increase. But I don't want it at the cost of compromise. 
Thomas Merton said this, if I had a message to my contemporaries, it is surely this. Be anything you like. Be madmen, drunks, and bastards of every shape and form. But at all costs, avoid one thing, success. If you're too obsessed with success, you will forget to live. If you have learned only how to be a success, your life has probably been wasted. Here's what I believe God is saying to us this morning. Invest in the life that you have, and you just might have something better than the life you've always wanted. That's a truth. That's the truth that God speaks over us this morning. In The Greatest Showman, the film, it begins with this hopeful musical score, The Greatest Show. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's right there in front of you. And he's speaking of the circus. And then, this is the opening scene. And then the very last scene of the movie. He sings it again. He sings those lines almost under his breath. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's right here in front of you. Except for P.T. Barnum is no longer being adorned by the crowds at the circus. No, he's at his daughter's ballet. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's right there in front of you. What starts with envy in the pursuit of success ends with learning what real success looks like. Is that your journey? Let's not wait until the end of our movie to make that a reality. Let's live God's dream for us here and now. And this is something that I have renewed in, in my own life. These, these past two weeks, I've taught my five-year-old son, we, we've taken off the training wheels. And it was brutal. Okay. Like my back hurts. Um, he, he fell a lot. He's like, you promise you'll catch me? And I'm like, yeah, son, I promise. And then like he fell and I didn't catch him. He's like, you promised. You lied to me. You said you were going to catch me. Why did you do that? And I'm like, it's just part of learning how to ride a bike, son. And so uh, I go, mom, let's, let's show mom what we're doing. And so like I'm holding the seat behind him and I'm like running like this. Like, and he's just kind of along for the ride. He just goes, I'm tired. And I'm like, you're tired? <laughs> and, uh, and we were on this trail and I'm running alongside him. And I go, hold on, son. We got to stop. Daddy's got to catch his breath. And he gets off the bike and he goes up to like right by my face and he goes and I go what are you doing and he goes you said to kiss your breath and I said no son I said dad has to catch his breath and then he goes up to my mouth and he goes what a beautiful moment right there in front of me is everything I've ever wanted, everything I ever dreamed, it's right there in front of me. And so we're going to, in a moment, we're going to sing a song. You may have heard it for the first time here when Hugh Jackman was singing it. No offense to Wolverine, but no, he's got a better voice than him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we're going to declare together, this song is, is, is certainly not a spiritual but it's true nonetheless. And in it is a repentance of chasing fame, fortune, success, the grass on the other side. And in it is a, a, a conviction, a, a, a repentance, a turning into something else. Uh, I'm going to appreciate 
everything in front of me and fully live right here, right now with the people that God has called me to. And so we're gonna declare together that we come back home. Will you stand as we just get a little folksy up here? Let's Woo! celebrate this together. praise my name but those were someone else's dreams the pitfalls of the man I became for years and years I chased their cheers the crazy speed of always needing 